if you bastards can do 90. Back to the Future, 1985, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Day one. I hadn't seen Back to the Future in over 20 years. My family isn't a movie family, so I'm surprised that I even got to see the movie in the first place. Still, I'm surprised at how much I actually remembered. I remembered the opening shot of Doc's lab and the news report about the plutonium. I remembered Einstein's trip in the DeLorean and the Libyan terrorists gunning Doc down. Marty crashing into the barn. Mr. Peabody shouting, Son of a bitch! George getting hit by a car. Everything. How could a movie from so long ago have made such a clear impact? I can't believe you loaned me a car without telling me it had a blind spot. Blind spot. I could have been killed. Now, now, Biff, now, I never noticed that uh, the car had any blind spot before when I would drive it. Hi, son. But what are you, blind, McFly? It's there. How else do you explain that wreck out there? Biff, um, can I can I assume that your uh, insurance is going to pay for the damage? Well, my insurance? It's your car. Your insurance should pay for it. I, I want to know who's going to pay for this. I spilled beer all over when that car smashed into me. Who's going to pay my cleaning bill? Uh, and uh, where's my reports? Uh, well, I haven't finished those up yet, but, you know, I, I figured since they were due to... Hello? <laughs> Hello? Anybody home? Oh, uh, think, McFly. Right. Think. I gotta have time yeah. to get them retyped. Yeah. Uh, do you realize what would happen if I handed my reports in your handwriting? Yeah. I'll get fired. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you? Would you? Oh, of course not, Biff. Now I wouldn't want that to happen. Now look, I'll uh, finish those reports on up tonight, and I'll run them on over first thing tomorrow. All right? And hey, not too early. I sleep in Saturday. Oh, McFly, your shoes untied. Oh. <laughs> Don't be so gullible, McFly. Got the place fixed up nice, though, McFly. Yeah, I have your car towed all the way to your house, and all you got for me is light beer? <laughs> what are you looking at, butthead? My big revelation this time is Crispin Glover's acting. We remember Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, and quite rightly so, but Glover's performance is so unique. One of my failings is that I rarely notice performances. I'm more of a plot guy. Glover made George McFly so pathetic and yet likable that he should be on the box cover. It's worth pointing out, too, that Alan Silvestri's score is nigh iconic but we don't even hear it until the moment we're introduced to Doc Brown. When the DeLorean backs out of the truck, we realize we've only heard Huey Lewis up to this point. We've entered the fantasy realm. We're leaving the mundane world of 1985 and entering the realm of fantasy science. Life is about to get dangerous. Doc! Marty! You made it! Yeah! Welcome to my latest experiment. This is the big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life. Ah, uh, well, it's a DeLorean, right? Stay with what me, Marty. All your questions will be answered. Roll yeah. tape. Okay. And we'll proceed. Ah, uh, Doc. Uh, is that a Devo? Never mind that now. Never mind that now. Right. Not now. Not now. All right, I'm ready. Good evening. I'm Dr. Emmett Brown. I'm standing on the parking lot at Twin Pines Mall. It's Saturday morning, October 26, 1985. 1.18 a.m. 
And this is temporal experiment number one. Day two. It dawned on me that the first act of this film is the densest first act in any film ever made. Every line, every shot, every scene is going to be important later on. Hill Valley is introduced that we can see how it changes in 1955. Lorraine McFly tells a story about how she and George met. Doc explains how the DeLorean works, and Marty's character is completely fleshed out. I defy anyone to point out a single line that is unnecessary. It hit me on the second day that the fact that this film takes place in the 80s doesn't necessarily work against it. Say what you will about the power of love in the spandex leotards in Lou's aerobic fitness center, the Hill Valley of 1985 doesn't seem too far removed from modern times. The logos of the Bank of America and Texaco have changed, but this is one of the few movies from the 1980s to take place in the 1980s that has aged well. It avoided the pitfalls of fashion and film costuming, which make us laugh today. There's not a white suit jacket or shoulder pad in sight, and the color palette avoids neon anything. Nonetheless, the film could have been more 80s, and it wouldn't have mattered. When making a film about time travel, does it really matter if the contemporary setting has aged? What about 1955? Is Robert Zemeckis' vision of the past any less garish than our stereotypes about 1985? We've got moon shoes, Mr. Sandman blaring over the loudspeaker, half a dozen gasoline station attendants, men with hats, Nat King Cole, a soda fountain, the word colored. Would, any, would that be any different than a 1985 Hill Valley full of keytars, zebra print, pop rocks, and Huey Lewis? This is more of a hindsight thing because 80 stereotypes weren't stereotypes when Back to the Future was shot, but there are many 80s movies that do far worse. Would making 1985 Hill Valley more 80s have hurt the film in the long run? I say no. Never mind that now. Never mind that. Never mind. Why, that's me! Look at me! I'm an old man! Good evening. I'm Dr. Emmett Brown. I'm standing here on the parking lot. Of Thank God I still got my hair! But what on earth is this thing I'm wearing? Well, this, this is a radiation suit. Radiation suit? Of course. Because of all the fallout from the atomic wars. This... Truly amazing. A portable television studio. No wonder your president has to be an actor. He's got to look good on television. Whoa, this is it. This is the part coming up, Doc. No, 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 no. This sucker's electrical. But I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. What did I just say? The flux capacitor stores. <laughs> this sucker's electrical. But I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! Great Scott! What? what the hell is a gigawatt? Day 3. I zeroed in on the unanswered questions of the Back to the Future script. I mean the really technical, story-based questions. What does a flux capacitor do? How does Doc know that the picture of Marty's family shows that Marty's life is being erased from existence? He came to that conclusion pretty quickly. How does Marty hit the wire in Town Square exactly at the right moment, even though Doc precisely calculated when he had to start driving, and after Marty missed that moment? Of course, there are bigger questions about the implications of causality and time travel, and why Marty simply doesn't disappear after he pushes his father out of the way of his grandfather's car. And while it's easy to say the answer to these questions is the totally valid idea of it's only a movie, 
I knew that there was a better way to answer these questions. More on that later. Hey, you. Get your damn hands off. Oh, I think you got the wrong car, McFly. George, help me. Please. Just turn around, McFly, and walk away. Are you deaf, McFly? Close the door and beat it. No, Biff. You leave her alone. All right, McFly. You're asking for it. And now you're gonna get it. Biff, stop it! You're gonna break his arm! Biff! Biff! Leave him alone! Let him go! Let him go! <laughs> Are you okay? Day four. Marty somehow manages, by interfering with his parents' lives, to create a present where his life is totally awesome. Look at it the wrong way, and it's completely twisted. Marty's actions have changed his family's destiny. His parents have different personalities, his brother and sister are successful, and Biff, bully though he is, is weirdly submissive. Almost uncomfortably submissive. Yeah, it's just a movie, but in a dark, twisted way, Marty's manipulated people's past to create a present totally in his favor. This could have gone the wrong way in a big way if it weren't for one thing. Marty himself. Throughout Back to the Future, Marty's main goal is getting back home, but he also has to make sure that his parents still fall in love. His interference is what changes the present, but if he doesn't fix it, he and his siblings will never be born. The funny thing throughout Back to the Future, however, is that every time Marty interferes, he does it for the right reason. He accidentally prevents George from meeting Lorraine because he's pushing him out of the way of an oncoming car. His reaction is instantaneous. When he convinces George to finally ask Lorraine to the dance, Marty picks a fight with Biff and inadvertently makes Lorraine love him even more. The whole reason he picked the fight, however, was to protect George. Finally, at the dance, Marty plans to drive Lorraine into George's arms by taking advantage of her in the car. George is supposed to save her and be a big man, but when the phone, when the moment finally strikes and Marty has to do it, he can't. He can't assault his mother, not just because it's creepy, but because it's not something he can do. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew you had to act a certain way, but when you got there, you didn't know if you could go through with it? Marty isn't shifty. He's not conniving, and at every turn he does the right thing for the right reasons, and it usually backfires. Add to that the fact that he risks his own future to keep Doc Brown safe, and we can't blame Marty for all the weird time-bending he does. None of it was his fault, really. But he gets to enjoy every bit of it because he earned it. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. How about a ride, mister? Jennifer. Oh, you a sight for sore eyes. Let me look at you. Marty, you're acting like you haven't seen me in a week. I haven't. You okay? Is everything all right? Oh, yeah. Everything is great. Marty! 
You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Day five. Day five was a mop-up. By this point, I had seen everything I had to see, including the fact that Doc Brown's clock tower climbing scene was an homage to Harold Lloyd in Safety Last. It's worth mentioning because at the beginning of the film, in the opening shot, there's a novelty clock with a tiny Harold Lloyd clinging to the minute hand. Also, Hill Valley is an oxymoron. But more important than that was a real insight through this film into the nature of fantasy. Let's go back to those questions I had on day three. What does a flux capacitor do? The answer is not, it doesn't matter, or shut up, it's just a movie. The answer is given to us by Doc Brown. It makes time travel possible. Why do we believe him? Because Christopher Lloyd does a great performance, and that character is perfectly written. The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? I fell in love with Doc at that moment, and henceforth believed everything he said. This is the same answer to the question, how does Doc know what the photo is doing, blah 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 blah. We trust him. Also, it was a cool way of showing that Marty was running out of time, etc., etc. How does Marty hit the wire in time, even though he got a late start? Because the late start was meant to ratchet up the excitement, and we had to get Marty out of there anyway for the happy ending. How could Doc possibly drive the DeLorean into a truck and pull out when Marty arrived at the mall? Through the power of awesome entrances, that's how. How do Doc and Marty know what second the lightning will hit the clock tower? I mean, it could have happened at any time between... 10.04 and 10.05, right? The clock has no second hand, right? They know because it's a really cool way of getting back to the future. That's why time travel worked so loosely and why the climax was so exciting. They felt right. Fantasy is all about engaging an audience's emotions. There's space for the illogical and the impossible and even the implausible when a filmmaker can capture the audience's feelings. Back to the Future is the best film to do this in Star Wars. And I can't think of another film that has done it since. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going. We don't need roads. So that's Back to the Future. You might have heard that it's a great movie. Is it? Why don't you go back in time and see it before you have listened to this podcast? You'll understand what I was talking about. <laughs>